Hello, everyone. I'd like to read from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this is a few paragraphs long, but, and Yogananda says about everything. But uh, please do follow along with me. It's a beautiful uh, reading, beautiful prayer, giving further context to the reading this morning. <clears throat> Teach me to feel that all men are my brothers. O our own one Father, teach me to feel that all men are my brothers. Teach me to love all countries as brother nations to my own, as much so as the land to which I am temporarily assigned by karmic law. Teach me above all to love those who love me not. Teach me to see thy presence in every erring brother. Teach me to heal as eagerly as I would be healed myself, those brothers who are steeped in ignorance. O Mother Divine, teach me never to rejoice in the segregation or punishment of an erring brother, even if he needs to be punished to protect from his tyranny those who otherwise are defenseless. Teach me to heal with kindness those who are misled, or let me correct them by my good example. Teach me to feel that even someone who does me mortal injury is my brother made in thine image. His ignorance is only temporary. Destroy in me every trace of vengefulness including the quick tit-for-tat spirit. Teach me to try to heal, not to punish, my brothers who resort to crime. Let me not increase their ignorance by a wrong spirit of revenge. Teach me to improve all men by my own example of forgiveness, self-control, determination to do what is right, wisdom, encouragement toward goodness, and prayer, and above all, by thy love. <clears throat> These words are very strong indeed, and even Master's recognition of life and spirit residing in the plant kingdom as well, all creation, and very strong, echoing truly our own higher consciousness, trying to steer us away from ego identification, from behavior centered in the ego. And so our higher consciousness calls to us to right behavior, calls to us to refine our consciousness, expand our consciousness, purify it, as in the purification ceremony this morning, seeking that divine reality that alone can free us from ego-centeredness. There is a story told by a saint, oftentimes to his disciples. It's the story of a man who lived in a village, small village, I can only assume probably in India, because 
this man decides that he's going to head off into the Himalaya and be in seclusion for an extended period of time. And so he lets all of the villagers know, and he heads off, and they faithfully, dedicated as they are to him, uh, bring him what he needs on occasion. And time passes, and the years go by, and ten years have gone by when this very same villager who has sought seclusion all this time decides that he wants to go and see the villagers. He wants to be with his friends. And so, aware of this news, because they are occasionally bringing him things, uh, they come to welcome him back, to walk him back to the village. And one of the villagers says to the <clears throat> spiritual seeker, who has taken this 10 years of seclusion, you have spent a great deal of time alone. What is it that you have achieved? Is there anything that you have achieved? And they were eager, awaiting his answer. And he said, I have always been quick to anger. And it, I find that uncontrollably, I will shout out in anger or get mad at someone. But in this time, what I have acquired, what I have succeeded at, is overcoming anger. I am completely free of this behavior. And the villagers are they're awestruck. They just can't believe this. Not an easy thing to do, to change our behavior, to lift our consciousness. And one of them shouts out, Surely, in 10 years, something has come up to trigger anger. And the man very calmly says, No, I have remained ever calm. I have succeeded in this endeavor. And then someone else, I don't believe you. Something must have happened. You've come out of your house. You stubbed your toe. I mean, something has had to happen to make you be angry. And the spiritual seeker now, with just a little bit of underlying <laughs> impatience, says, no, no, I, I do not get angry. This has been a successful seclusion, and I have conquered this bad habit. And then a third says, yet again, I, I just can't get my head around this. I can't believe it. Surely, just once you've gotten mad. And at this point, the spiritual seeker roars out in this fear, fearful, fear-inspiring voice. I have conquered anger. There is nothing that can make me upset. <laughs> and. So it is. Would it be so easy if we could just remove ourselves from whatever's causing the conflict, whatever's causing the disharmony, the disturbance, the bad behavior, and we'd probably be fine, right? Because we wouldn't have to deal with people, we wouldn't have to deal with the world, but God has lovingly placed us in the midst of uh, a dynamic situation, multiple circumstances, so many people, 
when we are close to and not close to, and world events, and it, it's just so easy to, to get ruffled, to uh, not think clearly or rightly, if you will. As uh, Sri Yukteswar said to his disciples so oftentimes, learn to behave. And our dear sister Gyana Mata, direct disciple of Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda said, you must test your religion in the cold, hard light of day. In other words, we are in this circumstance, we've been given this life uh, karmically and lovingly both, and we need to make the best of it. We need to try to live in this world with as refined a consciousness and as expanded a consciousness as we can possibly embrace because it's an uneven road and we can only stand secure in that clarity of consciousness, in that attunement with a greater reality that sees in everyone the divine potential, that sees in everyone the divine light. Swami Kriyananda shared a story of a man, a student of Yogananda's, and this student uh, was participating in the Hollywood Church, which was newly founded at that time. And he was aware of a member of the organization of Self-Realization Fellowship, so a disciple of Yogananda's, um, trying to assume control and leadership uh, in the situation in, in the center itself. And he came to Yogananda's defense. I can only assume Yogananda was not there at the time. And he came to Yogananda's defense and uh, challenged this individual. And when Yogananda found out about it, he came to this man who spoke in his defense. And he thanked him and he said, you've saved the day. Thank you for, you know, uh, leading people in the right way and, and gathering the spirit in the right way, uh, at least on the level of deed. <laughs> but Yogananda went on to say, would have been better if you had done it in a harmonious way. And the man heard it in the moment, but didn't take it to heart. And he must have spoken harshly, gotten angry, what have you. And he continued to behave that way. You know, even in trying to do something good, he would interject emotion, personal perspective, fed by emotion, and just a orientation that, necess that wasn't necessarily harmonious or unitive. And Swami Kriyananda explained that because he didn't take what Yogananda said to him on a deeper level, he continued to spiral in a relative negativity and then a greater and greater negativity, which eventually pulled him out of the work altogether and away from Yogananda. The way we treat others, it says in the more expanded reading of what was shared today, the way we treat others is the way we treat the Christ consciousness within ourselves.
And this is why this reading is so strong, because so much is at stake. It, it affects who we are. It affects what we are. It affects our ability to serve. It, it expect, um, affects our ability to be a friend, to, to do anything, to do everything. It very much impacts who we are. And we want to cultivate to the best of our ability, making it really a priority, this perspective that Yogananda is talking about where we come to see even those who don't look like they've got a, a high or true understanding to even so relate to them on a soul level. Ananta and I were invited to uh, officiate at a memorial service about a month ago, maybe a month and a half, someone that we knew uh, for over 30 years. Very tragic circumstances, uh, his passing. And there was no preparation or dialogue back and forth with the family because of the circumstances. I mean, it was nearly overwhelming, and we just went into a scene really not knowing what to expect. But this friend of ours, uh, as a uh, teen, when he was a teen, I remember him uh, coming to us and he said, Maria, look, and he just pulled open his shirt a little bit and he had tattooed there the image of Lord Shiva. And he was so proud about that, that uh, artwork there. And he didn't really know who Shiva was and I spent quite a, <laughs> quite a bit of time explaining that. But I, I uh, what really struck me in remembering this soul was that one of the aspects, and there's many aspects, Shiva's one of the uh, deities of God, a way of, of drawing our attention to qualities and aspects of the divine. And Shiva has many aspects, some of them which uh, can make you sort of shake in your boots. But at the same time, Shiva has that aspect of welcoming all those who have been cast aside by the world, who aren't preferred, who aren't wanted, who aren't deemed as good enough, whatever it is, the ill, the maimed, the disabled, whatever. Shiva takes everybody in. And it was so interesting to me that this friend of ours had this tattoo put there because his life, bless his heart, was one of just total chaos. We, we say commotion, karma. Just everything was always up and heave, up and everything was always in upheaval. And that affected family, friends, strangers, everybody. And, uh, but the most interesting thing to me at this memorial service was everybody, again, we didn't plan this or orchestrate it or even know if anyone was going to speak, but they did. People who knew him, people who didn't, um, people who were close, um, people were, who were hurt, you know, repeatedly by wrong behavior, this kind of thing. But they all spoke only to this aspect of his soul this innate benevolence that would just come forth and want to help other people, want to help other people who the world didn't prefer, the world didn't look to or admire or think 
uh, anything worthy of. And he would reach out in that way. And everyone addressed that. And it wasn't for show. It wasn't because they were just trying to make it an, a down event, an up event. <laughs> it was who that person was on a soul level, even though their life couldn't fully reflect it. And I so appreciated that because it's what the reading talks about is finding that spark of the infinite in another being as a soul, as a soul made in the image of God and holding to that and the rest as Ananta read in the affirmation. It's all just ripples on the surface, but that soul spark is always there, will always be there, is ever there, no matter what's going on. It doesn't mean that we appreciate or prove, approve of wrong behavior, but we can't let that cloud our perception of who that individual really is. A person came to Swami Kriyananda and apologized for a particular behavior that created some ripples, if you will. And Swamiji accepted that apology. And then Swami Kriyananda called the people who were the primary ones at the receiving end of this disturbance and, <laughs> and whatnot. And all Swami Kriyananda said was, he came to apologize I feel he was sincere. End of conversation. And in that closing, all that karma, that person's karma, the karma of the others, everything just nullified, completely gone. Because that person, you know, we all don't necessarily do the right perfect thing all of the time but put forth the energy to once again expand their consciousness, honoring that, you know, apologizing, and Swamiji recognizing as he did in all of us. You know, whenever anything would go wrong or awry, he didn't further point it out or drill it down into our consciousness. He would route the energy towards a path forward-moving and uplifted, and help us to move out of that circumstance, out of that itsy-bitsy consciousness that was in that moment causing trouble. In a seclusion that I had, uh, I think it was last year, I lately have been taken, I've taken to reading Master's commentaries on the Beatitudes they're so simple and succinct, not simple to apply, but you know, the teaching is basic. We just need to get behind it and, and do the inner work. And I was reading these and just enjoying all that Master was saying. And in meditation, I found myself praying, how does one be more kind? I mean, we're all kind. You know, we all try to be kind, but as we know, in, in discipleship, we haven't plumbed the depths fully of all of these divine qualities. There's still more to experience, and deeper we can go into these uh, aspects and qualities. And so it was how, you know, 
already trying to be kind, but how do we be even more kind? And the answer just clearly came, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And the more time we spend in that reality with God, however we embrace that as divine mother, as the guru, however we embrace that, the more we enter into that vibration, enter into that consciousness, we take on those limitless, unconditional qualities, and we ultimately become them, as it says in the uh, beautiful song, Thy light within is shining. Thy light within is shining has shown where freedom lies. And if we can be with that light, if we can be in that vibration, we're going to know how to behave. We're going to know the right thought. We're going to know whether to act or not act in that moment. We're going to know how to be and how to treat one another. We need to be that refuge for each other, not in an egoic way. You know, it's not just about a pat on the back or it's something much deeper. We need to be for one another, that reflection of truth and light. And as we spend time in that light and it's the priceless gift of meditation that we've been given. As we just try to attempt to be in that vibration, we are in that moment and going forward, becoming that vibration completely. And we are that to others and can offer that hope, offer that reflection to people who've perhaps had a much more difficult time than we are in, the, on this, in this incarnation. People who are reaching out for that, we can give it if we have it, and we can have it if we spend time in that consciousness and do what we can to expand that consciousness with God's help within us. Thank you. on the meadow have made you look so gay. The meadowlarks are singing, joys in the air. Come set your bells are ringing, your gladness to share. Hello there, sister dewdrop, linger a little while. Your colors in the sunlight would make a monarch smile. What need have I for treasures? Diamonds or gold, the fairest of all pleasures are here to behold. Hello there, dearest kinsmen, pebbles and laughing brooks, you timid little beetles that hide in private nooks. God made us of his gladness, come then and sing, to cure the world of sadness, a oh, ring, bluebell ring. To cure the world of sadness, a oh, ring, bluebell ring. To cure the world of sadness, a oh, ring, bluebell
lived in many countries and mixed with many men. I've shared the days of sunshine, gone with them in the rain. The fires at evening said we were brothers. The fires at evening said we were dying friend my officers had said I must hate him till the end but seeing his grief I knew we were brothers but seeing his grief I knew we were in God's world made us brothers our gladness in God's world made us brothers though words and customs vary like waves upon the sea one life beneath the surface binds everyone to me who knows the truth knows all men as brothers who knows the truth knows all men as brothers. Then brothers, why endeavor to set ourselves apart? The fences we've been building squeeze tight upon our hearts. Come sing the truth that all men are brothers. Come sing the truth that all men are. 